Hi! Welcome to the CJOB Sports Show podcast on this episode. The CFL's negotiation list. What did we actually learn from this? Well, we'll talk to Ed Tate from the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Curlers unhappy with new timing system experiments. Ted Wyman of the Winnipeg Sun will break that down. And Manitoba Bisons are going to host the national championship next year, March of 2020. We'll talk to their head coach, longtime coach, Garth Pischke, about that. That's all on the podcast. Today, the CFL and their nine clubs have unveiled 10 players from each team's negotiation list. Second time this year, 10 players have been made public. The first list announced in February. Joining me now is Ed Tate, Director of Content for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. How are you tonight, Ed? Fantastic. Christian, how are you? Doing well, Ed. So, this list, it's cool that they're doing this. It's a transparent move. Do we really learn anything, though, when these lists are announced? I think it's a sneak peek uh, at a few things. You know, it's only 10 of 45 names that each team can put on their list. But um, if you go back to the reveal that uh, of the Bombers list in February, uh, probably four or five of those guys ended up in training camp. And as you said earlier, uh, Marcus Sales was on that list, and he ended up being the club's most outstanding rookie, Chris Strebler was too. So in some cases, they're guys that the team is close to signing. And in some cases, it might give you a sneak peek at maybe some positional needs. Or if they, for example, the Bombers, 10 names includes three receivers. And I think a lot of people at the end of last year thought that that's an, an, an area that they could certainly improve on. So there's three names on there. I'm not sure who will, of those three will be in training camp, but you can bet that of the 35 names that weren't revealed, there's probably a few more receivers on them. And you always, of course, get kind of caught up in who the quarterbacks might be. And there, there's three quarterbacks that were, were revealed today among the Bombers' names. So those are always interesting guys to track, too. Yeah, looking at the Bombers list first, I, I, there are certain teams and they can choose who they choose to reveal. So when you see BC exactly. revealing Lamar Jackson, we know there's no way he's playing in BC anytime soon. Right, it's kind of just yeah. a, a publicity thing for that. There's, there's always a little bit of that, Christian. I mean, I, I can remember back in the day that uh, you know, after the uh, Atlanta Olympics, I think somebody put Donovan Bailey on their neck list, and so <laughs> you know, th- there's always going to be somebody that's trying to think outside the box a little bit. And you're right, uh, you know, even last year Montreal had Colin Kaepernick on their neck list. I'm not sure if he's still on there or not. But you know, even a few years ago, uh, if someone had said that. Johnny Manziel was going to be on a Canadian, you know, football league neg list, let alone a roster. Uh, I think a lot of people would have scoffed at that after his Heisman trophy winning season. So uh, these guys can stay on there as long as a team wants to stay on there. And so if, uh, you know, maybe the the Lions think that uh, I I don't see it, but they must still be having their fingers crossed that Lamar Jackson might end up there somehow. I, I don't see it either. Um, but you're right, that might be the publicity component of all this stuff. Most of these teams have one or two names that jump out and say, oh, I've heard of that name. I think the Bombers, one of the lists on the out of the nine that you might not say that. I think Lucky Whitehead, mm-hmm. if there's any names, that's one that I, I do recognize from playing a bit in the NFL. Uh, you mentioned receivers. There's Lucky Whitehead, Mikhail McKay, and Fred Brown. All these players playing in uh, at U.S. colleges or universities. So is what do we know about any of these players? Are, are these guys that really have a legitimate shot at playing with the Bombers, or is this something where the club is just thinking down the road just in case? 
Well, it's interesting you say that, Christian, because they list the college that these guys went to. And so someone like Eric Berea, the quarterback from Eastern Washington, and Charlie Brewer, the quarterback from Baylor, they're still playing in the playoffs and, and in bowl games. But a lot of these other guys have already bounced around NFL teams. So they list them as their, where they went to college. But, for example, I'm just scrolling down the list here, Donald Hawkins, a big offensive tackle from Texas that's on the, the Bombers' neg list, 6'4", 305. So, yeah, he, he did play at Texas. But, he, I mean, listen to this. He played for he had looks at least from Kansas City, Philadelphia, Cleveland, Dallas, Miami, San Francisco, Carolina, and the New York Jets. So this is a guy that's bounced all over the NFL. And I think that's why the CFL now might be an option for someone like that, is that, you know, you can only get so many kicks at the can down south before if you want to keep playing football, you have to look at other, uh, other alternatives. And, and for a guy like Hawkins, that might be the Canadian Football League. There's a few other guys like that on this list that have, you know, been through NFL camps a few times. Mikhail McKay, a receiver from Cincinnati, has been with the Bears, Cowboys, Colts, Jaguars, Broncos, and Titans. So he's got a decision to make. Do I keep trying to, to make it in the NFL and, and maybe crack a practice roster, or do I actually come up to Canada and get the chance to play? For the players that have been unveiled today, is this the first that they're learning that they're on a list of a Canadian Football League team? That's a great question. Sometimes it is. Uh, and a lot of times these guys don't know that someone in Canada owns their CFL rights. So a lot of guys, you know, have said this before when they come to Winnipeg, that they'd never heard of Winnipeg before. They've heard of Toronto or Montreal or something like that. But you can't just, uh, you know, say, I'm going to come up to Canada. I want to play for Toronto. That's just not how it works if someone has your rights. Um, and so that's why this thing has been kept confidential for so many years because once agents know that you're on a, a neg list, it's almost a negotiating ploy for agents too. They can come to a team and the Bombers, for example, are full at quarterback right now. They might not want to sign somebody that's a free agent right now, but a, a team or, I mean, an agent can force the team to say, well, either sign my guy or, or do something with him," And it would force the Bombers to, uh, to make a move and, and maybe take him off their negotiation list or perhaps change, uh, trade their rights, which has happened before too. And that's pretty much exactly what we saw with Johnny Manziel back in the winter time. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it, you know, they, he, he forced their hand. He came up here and, and clearly the Ticats were committed to Jeremiah Mazzoli. He didn't want to sit on the bench and ended up getting traded. And it's, it, it, again, that's the classic case of, you know, we can look at this list now and, and roll our eyes and think there's no way in heck this guy's coming up to Canada. But it's funny how a couple of years down the road, uh, the circumstances change. And they, and they sure did for Johnny Manziel after he won the Heisman, didn't they? Because he got in all kinds of trouble and had to come up here to uh, kind of reclaim his career. And, and even that, I don't think he's on solid footing in Montreal. So, um, you know, the shine can come off these guys' star pretty quickly. And if Again, if they want to keep playing football, sometimes they have to look north. And you mentioned that sometimes this is the first that players are learning. So there is a strategy then for these teams when they can have up to 45 players on a list. doesn't mean they have 45, but when they put out the 10 players, there's a strategy to why they are putting out these specific 10 players? Yeah, I think so. Uh, you know, uh, the, the first of all, the list can change all the time. I mean, the Bombers could, or any team in this league could, you know, announce to reveal their 10 today. And then tomorrow, five of those names could be off the neglist. So I think a lot of cases, in a lot of cases, 
some of these guys are going to end up in camp or come to a spring camp and it's a chance for the you know for the buy you know part of this is a publicity stunt like you said it's a, a chance to get some conversation leading into the bowl season of guys that maybe still on college teams but also to get people you know doing a deep dive on some of these prospects in the dead of uh, January when you are dying for the CFL to start up again so um it, it'll be interesting to see how many guys on this bomber Nick reveal will end up in you know, spring camp or get another look at the their rookie camp next May so it, there is a strategy behind who is released to absolutely. Are we any further on any uh, bomber free agents that we know about yet? Uh, that's a good question. I, you know, we saw earlier this week, Mike Miller was uh, re-signed. I think you're going to see guys like that, the the Canadians, the backups, some of the guys that, that have no desire whatsoever to try out the you know Alliance of American Football or this Freedom Football League thing that Ricky Williams is starting right. up, or maybe stick around for the XFL. Guys that know they have a good thing in the CFL. I think we're going to see some more signings like that. We've already seen a lot of the, uh, I'd say, the backup Canadians across the league are re-signing a lot in the last couple of weeks. So there, there might be a few more of those. But I know everybody's asking about. You know, players like Adam Big Hill and Javan Santos Stocks and Jackson Jeff Coat, Taylor Loeffler. I don't think we're going to get a resolution on those guys uh, until February. And then, of course, as everybody knows, the collective bargaining agreement discussions means that um, that's kind of thrown a wrench into everything, too. And it might make free agency in a lot of ways the excitement about February 15th and players changing teams. Uh, a lot of the the air might have been let let out of that balloon because of the uncertainty with the CBA, and players might not want to sign until, and teams might not want to sign players until they know what the salary cap actually is. So, I, I think we're going to have to wait on some of the big names, but you might see some of the guys, the foot soldiers, as I call them, like Mike Miller, uh, signing on here before Christmas. Ed Tate, I uh, appreciate you taking time to talk to us tonight on the CJB Sports Show. Right on, Christian. Thanks for having me on. We'll stick with curling as we welcome in Ted Wyman to the CJB Sports Show. Ted, how are you tonight? Doing very well, sir. How are you? Doing well. So let's talk some curling and a story you wrote yesterday about the Canada Cup. They did a little bit of experimenting with a new timing system. Uh, first of all, explain what the system, how the system was different and why curlers weren't a fan of it. Well, the, the number one thing is that I think that the World Curling Federation, the Canadian Curling, uh, the Curling Canada, and the partner broadcasters are interested in anything possible to sort of spice up the game. And I think one of the ideas that they had was rather than giving teams 38 minutes to uh, complete all of their shots in a 10 end game, they decided that they wanted to give them uh, four minutes for uh, each end and basically the idea came from some other forms of curling it's been used at the elite 10 on the grand slam which is basically a match play event so it's a little bit obviously quite a bit different from what they normally do with a 10 end game and the idea was basically to see if you could uh speed up the game for tv make it a little make, make every end a little more exciting you know if you've got 10 ends the first eight maybe you're kind of slow maybe take away some of the blank ends that kind of thing that was the idea behind it the so they put it they implemented it to try it out at the canada cup which is a pretty big event and you've got all the biggest name curlers there 
And so this was actually the first time ever at that Canada Cup that they played a 10-end event with the five rock free guard zone, which is a brand new rule for that level of curling as well. And then now they added in this time clock situation as well with the four minute per end time clock. And it did not go over well. It was not received well by the curlers. They didn't enjoy it. Um, I think they, a lot of them found it to be really difficult to actually play the game the way that it's meant to be played. And even Jennifer Jones, uh, who I think is you know one of the more gracious people out there uh, about curling, she appreciates everything that she gets from the game, and she won the event. But she said she absolutely didn't like it and hopes it won't be continuing going forward. So I think this a lot of the curlers have spoken, and you're gonna we'll see if the powers that be in curling are gonna listen. And Kevin Cooey in the final had a chance to score two in the fifth end and ran out of time and was visibly upset by that. And it seemed like the officials on the ice weren't totally up to snuff on what this rule was about either. Absolutely. A learning curve, obviously. And I, I you wouldn't want to make excuses. It did cost the Cooey team. They were, that whole end was very difficult for them. Um, they felt like they had called a timeout and the, the time clock didn't actually stop. They ended up having their last shot removed. He didn't even make the last shot, admittedly, by his standards. Kevin Cooley, pretty classy guy, said, you know, I didn't make the shot anyway, so we're not going to blame it entirely on the time clocks. But you could tell during the game that they were upset about it. Uh, there was a few choice words that were heard on the television broadcast that, you know, you can't repeat here. So obviously it was frustrating to people. Um, you know, I talked to uh, quite a few people about it yesterday. I talked to Brad Jacobs. I talked to Jen Jones. I talked to Jen's husband, who is Brent Lang from the John Epping team. He was about the most vocal person saying how much he hated it. Um, and Brad Jacobs said he didn't really like it. And he felt like the responses from all the teams around him suggested that there's no way that the curlers are going to endorse this. But he said it was about adapting and whoever adapts best is going to do well. And his team did adapt the best to it. They didn't let it become a distraction. So you have to give them some credit for that. And interestingly, you know, that Jennifer Jones said she really didn't like it. She really didn't think this was something that made curling better. But they powered through it and they won the event anyway. Fourth time she's won the event. doesn't matter if you change the rules. She's still one of the best in the world. And this was also, like you said, the start of this uh, five rock free guard zone. And yeah. how do we make the game quicker then? Is this the solution, just the rock rule? Or are we going to receive a, a time where there's only eight ends in all curling matches and not just these Grand Slam events? It's a matter of when, not if, the eight end game comes in. I, I'm certain of it. Um, uh, you talk to all of the curlers. And they all envision that that is the move that needs to be made. If you want the game to be quicker, if you want it to be more um, a nice tight package for television, then that's what you got to do is go to the eight end games. It's been working very well with the Grand Slam. Um, I did ask Jennifer Jones, if it was an eight end game, would it make any difference if you went to this different kind of timing? And she said, absolutely not. The timing is not something that we need in this game, not that per end timing. But eight ends, I think, makes sense to everybody. The, the World Curling Federation, I believe, has been somewhat resistant to making that change over the years. 
And of course, Curling Canada follows those guidelines. But you would expect that I think in the next year or so, even maybe the next couple of years, before the next Olympics, I would be very surprised if it wasn't always eight end games, uh, even at the world level. Has there ever been this much constant tinkering with the game as there has been over the last three or four years? <laughs> no, <laughs> but I can tell you, Christian, I don't know how old you are, my friend, but I am uh, 26. You know, I'm in my 50s. Okay, yeah, there you go. I, so I'm, I'm double your age, and I, uh, I grew up watching curling. Uh, you know, the first time I ever watched it was in the 70s. I covered it in the 80s, 90s and into the early 2000s. And it changed constantly throughout that as well. They understood that they had something good that people liked, but it was a terrible game in the 70s. I mean, it was up and down the sheet, and it was, it was just take the, uh, take the rock out, just peel. Don't let anybody have a chance to throw a rock into the house. And there was a lot of blank ends, and it, was, it wasn't any fun to watch at all. So they started bringing in the free guard zone, and it started with the three-rock free guard zone. They eventually said that wasn't quite enough. Let's go to the four-rock free guard zone, which they've used probably for about a decade. And then this year, they finally went to the five-rock free guard zone. And I give a lot of credit for all this to the Grand Slam of Curling and the World Curling Tour where they've done all the experimentation on this. That comes from the players. They're the ones that devise these ideas, come up with them and, and implement them, and then the, the rest of the world sees how well that works. And then that's sort of what I find ends up being the norm. And, yeah, it changes a lot, but I think always for the better. If it, it, curling is, uh, you know, it's not everybody's cup of tea. It's not always a great event to watch. Sometimes it's not that exciting. Anything you can do to make it more exciting is great. I guess the question is, at what point is there a limit to the stress that you put on the players if you just want to make it more entertaining? And I think that a lot of the players are pushing back on this idea of the per-end timing because it does create an immense amount of pressure on every end. And I think that's what makes curling unique in that sense compared to other sports that are often stuck in traditions and often a little bit late to change, whereas curling almost seems to be completely fluid and the players have more say than just about any other sport just because there's no owners of teams and players are really all that the game has. Well, just think about how much that game has grown. In the last 20 years, right. in the 90s, it wasn't an Olympic sport. In 90, 1998, it became an Olympic sport, and it has been a big-time Olympic sport in the last 20 years. I can tell you that, you know, I covered it at the Olympics this year in Pyeongchang, and, you know, our coverage of that was, was daily high up on the list of things that people read. Even though Canada didn't win as many medals as they normally do, they only won one in mixed doubles. They didn't win any in the men's and women's four-player game. So people were still very interested in it. And it, it, it's something that really resonates with fans in Canada, especially, but at the Olympics, you know, it was something that people were interested in the United States because John Schuster won the gold medal. They were very interested in, in, in Korea, um, where that team came along and played very well. So it's, it's something that is really growing. Hockey can't grow in that way because it was already so huge. It has been for 75 years in this country, even longer. But I mean, you know, just it's, it's something that in Canada, it's not going to grow and grow because it's already huge. But curling 
just has this opportunity, I think, to always take new steps. And I think part of what makes it work is the willingness to tweak the rules and try to be a better game all the time. And that goes to the people who build the game and the people who play the game. Ted Wyman, as always, appreciate you taking time to join us here. And as always, my pleasure. It was announced this week that the 2020 U Sports Men's Volleyball National Championship will be held right here in Winnipeg at the University of Manitoba. Top eight teams in the country Friday, March 13th to Sunday, March 15th, 2020. So the end of next season. It'll be fun times at Investors Group Athletic Center or EGAC. So let's talk about this with longtime Bisons coach Garth Pitchkey, who's been a coach of the Bisons for well over three decades. Garth, were you a part of the bidding process to get the championships here? Uh, yeah, I definitely was. I think uh, actually uh, having been around for as long as I have, I pretty much know a lot of the things that have gone into hosting a national championship and I've attended 26 or 27 with my teams over the years. So uh, I think I got, had a pretty good feel for what uh, what they were looking for. And uh, uh, having said that, though, uh, you know, our, our athletic director, uh, Gene and uh, and Kurt and, uh, and support staff did a phenomenal job in putting the bid together. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but this is the first time in over 40 years that the men's championship is hosted by the Bisons? Well, it's it's actually the the first time ever okay. uh, that that we have. Now there there was a a joint bid some forty years ago between University of Manitoba and University of Winnipeg, uh, but uh, at that time the men's and women's were run together, and the majority of the men's was held at the University of Winnipeg. So what does that mean to you now? That you know thirty something years into your career to have the first time hosting this for the Bisons. Yeah, this will be uh, next year. It'll be my 38th year, and uh, and our first time hosting it. So, uh, for me, it's been a an incredibly long, rewarding, satisfying career. But there's always been a, a piece of the puzzle puzzle missing, and that was hosting a national championship. And uh, and I've been very excited that uh, that our athletic director supported. Uh, me in this bid and and went along with it and that we've uh, done a fantastic job in putting it together and uh, and now I I get to realize that that final piece of the puzzle. I know this is a uh, long time away still over a year away but what would it be like to win a national championship on your home court? Well it'd be uh, outstanding I mean winning is is fantastic but to to do it in front of uh, at home in front of uh, family and friends and uh, and the phenomenal volleyball community that we do have here in Winnipeg and Manitoba would be extremely excited and we're certainly going to do the the best job we possibly can in putting together a, a championship caliber team and that community is one that I think gets underrated a little bit when we talk about the sports in this city and this province because it's it's a very big community that's very energized. Well, it's uh, you know just just by example the the last two volleyball events, big volleyball events that we've hosted here at the University of Manitoba, one being the uh, the Canada Summer Games and uh, and the previous one was uh, when we hosted the Canada West Final Four in men's volleyball uh, two years ago and uh, both of those events we, we turned people away at the door so it was uh, exciting for us uh, unfortunately we couldn't get everybody in but uh, I think it's going to be the exact same atmosphere uh, a year from now 
I was at that Canada Games final between Alberta and Manitoba for the girls, and that's one of the, you know, I've been here almost four years. That's right up there with the Jets whiteout in terms of sports experience that I've I've been at here in Winnipeg, and I think anybody that gets the chance to go see this high level of volleyball should take it in. Well, it's it's a first-class facility that we have here. It was built for the Pan Am Games and in 99 and, uh, and and but it's a very intimate facility it only holds 3500 people and uh, uh when it's packed it's it's very very noisy and and we've seen that from from time to time with with just the provincial volleyball championships that are held here practically every year and uh, uh the uh, the atmosphere is extremely exciting and uh, and this volleyball is going to be a real high caliber event and uh, a great chance at, uh, for Manitoba and Winnipeg to get back into the stands and, and see some great volleyball. And for you as a coach, that gives you uh, something to motivate your team with going into next season and continuing through this season? Oh, there's no question about it. I mean, when I let the guys know on, on Monday that our bid was accepted, you could see right away that uh, the level of practice got, got really interesting. <laughs> and everybody has a little bit of a more adrenaline flow in them and uh, and are excited that uh, this is going to happen. And um, they want to prepare and, and get better every day now to, to put on a good show. Now, you do get an automatic berth into the championship if you're the host, right? Yes, we do. Yeah. Okay. So even if, you know, you didn't have a great season next year, you'd be there, but obviously you want to, you almost want to get there on your own merit though, right? Well, we want to get there and we want to be competitive in the championship. The last thing we want to do is uh, is be uh, the lowly eighth seed going into it and have to play the, the best team in the first round. We want to, you know, increase our spot up there so that, uh, you know, our chances of, of getting through the first round, and that's the one we're, we're preparing for, is uh, is going to be high. So uh, that means we've got to put a better product on the on the floor, and uh, that means we've got to have a successful season next year to get to get a better ranking. How does this season gone so far? Well, it's been very good for us. I've been uh, really excited about we've had some some real good wins. Unfortunately, we've had a, a couple bad losses, but that's kind of the trademark of a, of a young team, and we are a young team, mostly second-year guys on the floor. So uh, uh, next year they're going to be third-year guys with a little more experience, and, uh, and I expect that those uh, bumps and valleys will be smoothed out and, uh, and will be a more consistent, uh, successful team. So the hope is that this team will be peaking pretty much right as you get into that national championship that you're hosting. Well, we definitely want to play our, our best, that's for sure. And uh, and by knowing that we're going to host, that, that could help us a little bit as well, too. If there are injuries or things going uh, going on next year, we, we can definitely rest some guys so that we are at our, at our best at that uh, final weekend of the year. What's your expectation for this season? How far can this team go? Well, we're, we're we're fighting hard to get into the playoffs this year because we are are a young team, and I, I think we're pretty much right on the bubble right now. And uh, uh, but like I say, we've we've had some real real big good matches against uh, the best teams in the country, and uh, and have won all the ones we've had to so far. So uh, we hope to continue that after Christmas and uh, make a push because um, obviously getting into the playoffs is going to be another another round of experience for us and and help. Uh, help help us uh, down the road so for those who don't know you have a holiday break right now you're back in that first week after uh, new year's so what is this kind of break are players still practicing on your own or still meeting up as a team 
Yeah, we, we're practicing throughout the rest of this week, and uh, uh, the reason we're going a little bit longer than we we usually do is we usually start up the pretty much the day after Christmas to get ready for the first weekend of January, but uh, we have a bye the first weekend of January this year, so uh, we decided to extend it a little bit on this side of the Christmas and, uh, and start up uh, the 2nd of January because we don't play until the 11th. Do you know how long you're going to keep coaching? Uh, I'm getting close to the end here, real, real close, and uh, you know I should know within the, it's going to be a year or two down the road that that I'll be done. So if you were to win a national championship on your home court, that would be a pretty nice end, wouldn't it? Yeah, that would be a great way to finish it off. Yeah, I might have to seriously consider that being the the day if that was uh, was to happen. All right, well we'll cross that bridge when we get there, Garth. I appreciate taking yeah. time to talk today. Yeah, not a problem. Thanks a lot, and uh, and enjoy the the season. I can assure you, Christian will not be doing his sports cast naked. Well, it is radio. Theater of the mind. <laughs> Check out the CJOB Sports Show weeknights from 7 to 9 p.m. with Christian O'Mell and the Sports Show Podcast. Not available on iTunes, not available on Google Podcasts, not available anywhere you get your favorite podcasts. Yes.